welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Like many episodes, I get a chance to interview my friends and brothers. Um, you know, Morehouse men always kind of find themselves on the other side of uh, me on this show. I see him now representing the University of Houston. You can tell somebody running for mayor. But shout out to a candidate for uh, the city of Houston, Texas, former clerk, uh, former Democratic Party leader, lawyer, father, husband, none other than my good friends, Chris Hollins. What's going on, brother? What's happening, Bakari? How you doing? Man, I'm good. You know, we start each one of our episodes and it's, it's kind of funny because we've in, in our recent episodes, we've interviewed uh, a young lady who is a deputy executive director for the DGA. We've interviewed. Uh, the executive director or leader of the African-American Mayors Association. And everybody talks about the import of uh, black mayors and local mayors. But you've been a consultant, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, a public servant, and now you're seeking public office. Walk us through uh, your career stops since finishing Harvard and Yale and Morehouse. And what have you learned in each of your career stops that now prepares you to run for the mayor of Houston, Texas? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my first job out of college and one that uh, I maintained for the majority of my career was as a business consultant at McKinsey and Company. And at McKinsey, what I did was I helped large organizations, whether they were private sector, Fortune 500 companies or public agencies like in our Pentagon, for example, uh, to better serve the people who they were intended to serve and to change the way they were doing things and solve really challenging problems that they were facing so that they could better achieve their missions. And, and so that work that we did, whether it was, you know, at a grocery store or, you know, at a major telecom company or at, you know, one of our United States you know, military organizations, what we were doing was ultimately making those organizations run better, run more efficiently, uh, and then to provide better access and better services uh, to their constituents and the people that they serve. Um, since serving at McKinsey, uh, but both before and after uh, law school and business school, I also had the pleasure of working in the White House in 2009 under none other than President Barack Obama. Um, since working at McKinsey, I hung out my shingle as an attorney and started a small firm that has now grown. And I'm also an entrepreneur. I do things in the real estate space. Uh, I own a restaurant, which has been quite an experience. I own a restaurant. Uh, and that's probably the worst business decision you ever made. Well, what's the, what's the name of the restaurant that you own? I, I, <laughs> shout out. I ain't even know. Your wife is so mad at you for investing in this restaurant. What's it called? Yeah, so it's called the Stacked Pickle. It is a sports bar concept, you know, burgers, wings, beer. Uh, you know, it's, we're in the middle of March Madness right now. So, so business is booming. But, um, but through that experience, as you might imagine, in the pandemic, uh, I've seen firsthand the challenges that, that many small businesses are facing, particularly in the food and beverage space, uh, with you know, trying to, to make a living, trying to provide jobs in our community, while also providing great service. And so that's, that's, that could be a whole podcast in itself, the experience of, of opening a restaurant during this time. Oh, yeah. Because we were in the middle of our build out when when the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And, and then it's just been kind of a ride since then. <laughs> Understatement. But, <laughs> but saying all that to say, you know, the same tools that you would apply to run a large Fortune 500 company. Right. When you're thinking about who's the customer we serve, what's the problem that we're solving 
for them. Uh, what do we need to do internally to attract talent, to retain talent, to develop folks? Um, what, what processes do we need to have in place? What problems do we need to be solving? All of that can be translated to, to local government. And, and we did that when I served as county clerk. Uh, I served as chief elections officer in 2020 right here in Harris County in Houston. And what we had to solve the problem of delivering unparalleled access for the people of Houston to exercise their constitutional right to vote and to do so safely during a pandemic where we were scared for our lives and, and rightfully so. Um, and, and you don't do that by being progressive, right? Or being conservative. You do that by understanding those systems, right? Because a voting system, when you have over 800 voting centers like we have here in Harris County, and you have nearly 1.7 million people coming in and out of those doors uh, during a pandemic to cast ballots, and then you still have these same, you know, these voting machines, and you have these 11,000 volunteer workers that receive maybe four or five hours of training, and they have to do all that and do it efficiently and do it safely and do it securely. Um, that takes a lot of operational skill. It takes a lot of strategy. It takes a lot of planning. And, and getting that right is not easy. But Nor is running a major city, the fourth largest city in this country, and, and managing a team of 22,000 civil servants that are supposed, supposed to keep us safe, uh, to keep our roads drivable, to pick up our trash, to make sure we get clean water uh, into our homes and wastewater out and to make sure that we have parks and green space and places where we can you know, have fun and enjoy time with our families. All those different things, again, you don't get there just with good ideas. You get there with real leadership, real operational skill uh, and talent, and you get there with execution. Well, let me ask you just a real life question, and I, I don't want, you, you can leave your stump speech uh, in Houston. I think the listeners here want to know, I mean, you could have, I mean, you, you graduated from, Morehouse, Yale, Harvard Business School. You could have stayed at McKinsey. You could have made partner and made millions at a larger law firm. I mean, you've got a business and a family. Why the hell do you want to be mayor of anything? Yeah, um, it's because, look, I'm from Houston. I'm born and raised in this city. I love this city. I bleed Houston. Uh, you know, you were there with me at, at Morehouse when, you know, I'm over here talking about the Rockets and the Astros. Uh, talking about turning Texas blue in 15 years and folks like, uh, you know, like Jason Spears telling me that's impossible. It's not um, impossible. It just ain't there yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but being here and, you know, being a fourth generation Houstonian and now raising my kids here, uh, my five-year-old daughter and my one and a half year old son, um, this means a lot to me. You know, I, whoever the mayor of the city is, I have to live here. Right. And I, my family has to be safe and my kids have to have access to quality education uh, and we have to have, you know, good parks that we can run around in. And so that that really matters to me. And, and certainly it matters to, to two and a half million other people. And so it's important that not only the city of Houston, but broadness, because, you know, you have an international audience that that every city, every town, every state has leaders who care about us, but who also have the ability to do the job and to do it well so that the outcomes that we need in our communities, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're black, white, or brown, or regardless of who we worship or who we love, that we're being taken care of, 
that we live in a safe place, that we live in a place of opportunity, that we can you know, have access to a good paying job and again, take care of our kids and put food on the table and ultimately give ourselves the, the, the opportunity if we're willing to work hard enough to do better for ourselves and to be contributing members of society. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Before I get to your race, let's talk about some other things going on in Texas, because I just made the comment that it's not, it ain't blue just yet. You're working on it, but it's not yet. You're also an active member of Beto for Governor and his campaign um, in Texas in 2022. For people like me who, you know, are somewhat skeptical that you will elect a Democrat statewide, what's your elevator pitch to us? Yeah, I mean, so look, let me just be clear about where Texas is right now. Uh, if you look out at our 29 million residents and you, you look at those who are of voting age and eligible to vote, those people have center left values. They have more progressive values. Um, people want access to health care. Texas is one of the, the few states that has not expanded Medicaid, even though we're paying federal tax dollars to fund that. We don't have access to those services, which is absurd. Right. We have a, an electrical grid that quit on us. We're the, we're the power center of this country and we couldn't keep our own lights on during a winter storm because we didn't invest um, in safety measures that would have guaranteed that for us. Right. People, regardless of where they fall on a, on a spectrum, they care about things like that. We want to live through uh, this pandemic. And, and, you know, we're fortunate to, to have come out on the other side of this. And I'm going to knock on some wood right here when I say that. Uh, but so many of our neighbors weren't as fortunate and, and irresponsible leadership, you know, got us there in many instances. And so, you know, again, whether we're talking about healthcare, whether we're talking about education and, and making sure that our kids, uh, are able not only to, to get good education while at school, but show up to school ready to learn because they have a roof over their head. They have food to eat. They have clothes on their back. This is, these are things that just regular folks care about. And these are things that in Texas in particular, that Democrats are fighting for and Republicans are fighting against. And so it's not about, and the, the track record is clear, right? We've had statewide Republican leadership for well over two decades. Um, the reason for that is that people are not voting. It's not because 
Texans don't agree with the values that the Democratic candidates espouse. And so we have to get more people registered and we have to provide for voter access, which was my job and the job that I executed in a nonpartisan fashion in 2020. Let me ask you this question for people that might not be that familiar or following what's happening in Texas. Why has Texas and you know, and for for those of us who talk about it on the news, why is Texas ground zero for conservative culture wars? Because I feel like voting rights, reproductive rights, critical race theory, literally everything that's happening everywhere else is on 10 in Texas all the time. Um, and so why is that? And for listeners who aren't in Texas who say I don't live there, so why should I care about what happens in Texas? Help them understand why Texas matters. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when you think about the, the national political sphere, uh, you know, nothing is happening in, happening in isolation anymore, right? These attacks on voting rights, these attacks on women's right to choose. It's not that people are just coming up with an idea in Atlanta or coming up with an idea in Austin or in Phoenix. Uh, what's happening is that national conservative think tanks are rolling these out intentionally and strategically across the country. Um, and they, they typically start in places where they have strongholds and they know they can pass those laws. And Texas has a trifecta with Republican dominance in the House, Republican dominance in the Senate, and Republican dominance in the governor's office. And so they can effectively pass whatever they want, whether that's voter suppression, whether that's taking Black history out of history books, uh, you know, again, whether that's taking away a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy uh, and get access to quality health care. And they're doing that and they're doing it easily here. And of course, we're fighting them in court, but they can pass that legislatively here. But then, you know, that allows them to to taste a bit of success, uh, to tinker with the laws and tinker with the messaging. And then they take that to Georgia. Then they take that to Arizona. Then they take that to Wisconsin. And soon they're taking that to, to your doorstep. And in particular, in the educational space with all this critical race theory BS, the, the textbooks that get approved in Texas are the exact textbooks that your kids are gonna have access to in whatever state you live in. Um, and it, because of the size of the state uh, and for other reasons, those, those textbook writers come here and they base what they can put in their books on uh, what Texas law will allow. And one of the recent laws said that our history books can no longer contain Hillary Clinton. And they said that they can no longer contain Helen Keller, right? And people are saying like, what? Like that makes no sense at all. And I agree with you, but that's what's coming to your doorstep. And that's what's being taken away from your kids uh, because of what's happening in Texas. So te Texas is a, a proving ground. It is the most important battleground in the country. And, and it's where we should be investing a lot of resources to try and turn the tide. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. 
and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. So let's talk about your race for mayor. You had the benefit of running after a successful mayor, Mayor Sylvester Turner. Shout out to Mayor Turner. Talk about what makes Mayor Turner so special and how do you intend to follow an act like that? Absolutely. I mean, Mayor Turner is a phenomenal leader. And what what you can sense from the moment you encounter him uh, are two things. One, his energy level. Uh, So this brother is in his mid-60s. But like, I can't keep up with him right at 35. Uh, he moves and he works day and night. And so that that tireless effort and enthusiasm is, is, is incredibly important. But the other thing that you sense is his love for Houston. He truly cares about this city and about every corner of this city. Um, your listeners might not know that Houston is the most diverse city in this country. Um, and we will you know, put us up against New York, put us up against any other city. And you, know, you just have this fantastic melting pot here, uh, you know, black, white, brown, East Asian, South Asian, Vietnamese, Chinese. Uh, you can come here and get some amazing food, West African folks, West Indian folks. And, and we're all here living and building this city together. And, and Mayor Turner recognizes the importance of that diversity. And he spends a lot of time in these communities and he makes sure that he's bringing us together. So that when we're, you know, we're putting up new projects in East downtown or Midtown uh, or we're bringing, you know, and engaging sports teams in our community or, or, you know, attracting businesses here, that all of Houston is being represented in what he's doing. And, and so I certainly want to emulate that not only in our campaign, but when we walk into City Hall to succeed him in 2024. Uh, when you look at the unfinished work of the Turner administration, what is the work for Houston and how would Mayor Hollins answer that call? Yeah. And, you know, democracy in general is, is unfinished work. Right. He, Mayor Turner has done a fantastic job, but there are so many uh, you know, projects that are happening right now that he's not going to be able to cut the ribbon on. Um, one that I know he takes particular pride on uh, is an Ismaili uh, worship center, uh, which is, you know, a, a, a particular part of the Muslim faith. And they're building this fantastic edifice right uh in the middle of town and he's been in, uh, enthusiastic and and he's been a real resource to make sure that that project gets pushed forward but they're not going to get done by the time he walks out of office uh we're building a high-speed uh rail from from texas and uh, pardon me from dallas to houston 
Shout and, out to uh, Mayor, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Look, we need those transportation dollars down here, brother. Bring them. Bring them. And, and I sit on the Metro board here in, in Houston. Uh, so, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar public transit system, which a, a large spread out city like Houston, it's tough to provide adequate public transit. But we're building this out uh, over the course of a number of years. And that's a that's a 20 year, 30 year set of projects. Right. And so despite, you know, his vision, his energy, uh, the skill with which he has done what he's done in his nearly eight years in office, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of unfinished business. Uh, but we have to do a couple of things here in Houston. One, we have to make sure at a base level that this city is safe. You know, violent crime has been on the rise. And again, as someone who's raising kids here, but also as somebody who's the son of a police officer, I care deeply about the safety of our communities uh, and the safety of, of the people who are keeping us safe. Um, and so we have to put things in place, adequate resources uh, for our police technology, uh, but also accountability measures to make sure that they're protecting and serving us to keep this city safe and, and make it so that we feel comfortable taking our kids to school, going to work, going to church, going to shop for groceries. And then we know we'll get home and be able to eat dinner with our families every evening. Uh, from there, we have to think about opportunity. This has to be a place where you can get a, high, a, you know, a good paying job, put food on your table, take care of your kids. This has to be a place that's attractive to businesses who are trying to you know, bring talent here, who are trying to uh, you know, build wealth for themselves and, and serve our community. This has to be a place where your kids get access to quality education, whether that's you know, in our public schools, which I'm a product of, uh, or at a charter school or at a private school. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you're getting it from. What matters is that our kids are able to grow and develop um, have access to to be able to go to college if they want to, or to be able to come into the workforce, uh, you know, as as a a skilled um, and contributing member of, of our society. Uh, but we also have to solve bigger problems that are facing us. Right, part of what makes Houston great is we're the energy capital of the world, but we're in the midst of a transition in the energy industry. And so, how do we make sure that twenty years from now we're still the energy capital of the world? And how can the mayor be a partner uh, to our energy industry as we go through that transition to keep those jobs in Houston, uh, to keep that talent in Houston? And, and how can we attract more diverse uh, businesses? We have the largest medical center in the world right here in Houston, Texas. And so we need to be more of a hub for, for biotech, for healthcare. And, uh, and, and I wanna be a leader and a partner in making that a reality. And then we also just have to protect ourselves from what's happening in the world, which in particular for us is natural disasters. We get hit with storm after storm, hurricane, we have issues around flooding. And, you know, look, people talk about again, left versus right and Republican versus Democrat. That storm does not care who you voted for when it's, when it's coming through our town, right? And so how do we put infrastructure in place that keeps us safe? And how do we rebuild more quickly, you know, when we do get hit? Those are all things that are of critical importance to Houston, not only today, but for our future, so that my kids, when they grow up, can raise their families here, which is something that I hope for as a fourth generation Houstonian. Now, you obviously won't be alone and you're expecting a crowded field. I didn't know. I was speaking to one of our mutual friends 
uh, Audia Jones, and she was telling me that uh, about 30 people ran last time against Sylvester Turner. I had no idea that it was going to be such a crowded field. What do you think distinguishes you from the candidates that are currently or candidates that are thinking about getting in the race for mayor of Houston? Sure. Yeah, no, this is this is an open seat uh, with Mayor Turner being term limited and and it's an important seat. So it's not surprising that so many people would be interested in running for this office and, and in serving their community uh, in this way. But, you know, what sets us apart, you know, the Houston is a strong mayor system. So more than really any city in the country, our mayor controls this city and has to be the CEO of this city. He's not just a policy leader who takes a vote and then says, all right, city manager, go get it done. He has to be responsible for our 22,000 civil servants who are keeping us safe, who are picking up our trash, uh, who are you know running our water systems and our road systems and so many other things. And so you have to be an executive leader to get that done. And what sets us apart is proven experience as an executive. Not only in my background as McKinsey, working with all these Fortune 500 companies and government agencies across the country, um, but I've demonstrated that as county clerk. And you know the reason why we were so successful as county clerk was because of our operational ability, our ability to take an idea from the moment of vision, put together a strategy and a plan to, to deliver on that, and then to execute it and to, to make sure that what we were doing uh, as a team, which my, my team at the county clerk's office started out about 350 people, but swelled to well over 11,000 on election day when you include all the election workers. And so how do you, you know, again, train those people, motivate those people, uh, instill a culture in that organization that's going to be uh, geared towards delivery of outcomes uh, and success and better services for Houstonians. So that's what set, sets us apart. How can listeners support your race and follow what you're doing? Uh, you can check us out at chrishollins.com. And some folks don't know how to spell that. So my last name is H-O-L-L-I-N-S. Ain't no G in it. Ain't no G in it, folks. Ain't no G in it. <laughs> And uh, and on social media, on every platform from Facebook to TikTok to Instagram to Twitter, uh, our handle is C.G. Hollins. My middle name is George C.G. Hollins on every platform. So follow us. Uh, give us a dollar. Invest Amen. in our campaign today. Um, and also you can sign up to volunteer or just stay updated. So we look forward to hearing from you. And uh, over the next 18 months, as we won this race. And in the following four years, as I serve as the 63rd mayor of Houston, I look forward to getting to know y'all and hearing from you, uh, hearing your ideas and having you be a part of the Houston that we're building. So thank you very much. No, that's 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 dope. I mean, 18 months. It is, it is. This election is not in 2022 focus, 2023. But as you know, we focus on everything that matters on this show. So thank you to my brother, Chris. You in for a long haul. But I know you built the handle it, my brother. So thank you for joining Bakari Sellers podcast. Thank you for having me, brother. Always a pleasure. That was dope, man. Thanks, man.